I'm Jamie. Welcome to Driver Picks the Podcast. Where I pick the podcast. And I should make it all. And today we are discussing the fourth episode of season five of Supernatural titled The End. Jamie, what did you think? Okay, I'm going to start with my favourite bit about this episode. Okay. We get Zacky Boy back! <laughs> I fucking love good old Zacky Boy. Like, Zachariah, I just... <laughs> I love that you are a Meg stan and a Zachariah stan. <laughs> First and foremost, those are your blue eyes. It's iconic. Is it out of character for me, though? No. Absolutely not. Like, It's just so funny. Like, if at the beginning of our show, if I had done a predictions episode being like, what do you think Jamie will like? What characters do you think she'll attach to? I might have said Meg. I would not have said Zachariah. <laughs> Obviously, like, he's evil, but also, like, he is so fucking funny. He's such like, a fun evil. His vibes <laughs> are just so fun. Like, every time Zachariah is on screen, I'm having a ball. You're living. Like, I am living for it. Like, he is having the time of his goddamn life. Mm-hmm. Like, and he is so funny, and he is just so, he's just so different. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah. He's got, he brings such an energy. Yeah. And he's such an asshole, but yeah. in, like, such a fun way like as much as I think it's really funny that you've like latched onto Zachariah so hard I also love that you have because I also love Zachariah and I honestly think because he's like not like a main character no, I like, think he I'm often assuming, gets overlooked I'm assuming after season five like we're not gonna probably see him again I mean I'm not gonna yay no, or nay you but, but there is every t- chance that he dies in the apocalypse if he doesn't die in the apocalypse I'm imagining they don't have a lot for him to do post-apocalypse. Post-apocalypse. So, like, he's not like Bobby or, like, Sam or Dean or Cass. Like, he's not anyone who's in, like, I suppose what you would call the core cast. Yeah. He's like he's he not even, the, like, a Joe or an Ellen or something like that. Yeah, like, he's not He's not one that the boys would be looking to get in touch with out of their way. I, no, do, I do think, think he's he, underappreciated a I lot. I do think him and the Trickster would be best friends. Really? I think they'd hate each other. I feel like competitive. they're competitive. Like they're rivals, yeah. Mm. Um, I do think though they'd have a great time sitting at a bar and comparing notes. Like, oh yeah, I oh did my this God. to the Winchesters. Oh yeah, well I did this. Okay, here's the thing. Not to tolerate your trickster theory, but I do think it is very entertaining the concept of the trickster and Zachariah sitting at a bar and like trading notes. Like I think that is so funny. Yeah. That is hilarious. And you're, do you know what? I think you're right. I think Zachariah would really appreciate the humor of Mystery Spot. Yeah, like. He would love it. And you know what? The trickster would love the It's a Terrible Life AU. Like, yeah. They would vibe over that. Look, I love Zachariah. He is fucking hilarious. And I do think him and the trickster would get drunk in a bar one night and compare notes about all the shit they've done to the Winchesters. I think that that is so fun. Yeah. Yeah, I love that concept. I want to very tangentially sort of build on that i'm gonna skip right to the very end of the episode so i think that lucifer is maybe coming for zach's title of funniest angel and here is my here is my argument for that when dean says you better kill me and lucifer goes kill you don't you think that would be a little redundant fucking hilarious like that is peak comedy right there like don't you think that'd be redundant pointedly looks at dean's dead body on the ground (laughs) I would have been interested to see, though, if Dean had worked out that he was lying to everyone and he'd agreed to, like, go in or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, like, Lucifer had killed 
2009 Dean. Mm. Like, what the fuck would have happened to present Dean? Yeah. Like, because would if Zach he... Zap back 2014 Dean? Or would, like, 2014 Dean be dead because 2019 Dean is dead? Like, here's the interesting thing about this. And actually, this is a debate that I wanted to bring up with you anyway. So this is a nice segue. So I don't know if 2014 Dean is necessarily in the same timeline as 2019. Because 2014 Dean is not expecting 2019 to show up. Mm. And the way that time travel works, like the time travel is always messy. Yeah. But theoretically, if it is an like a continuous loop, right? Yeah. 2014 Dean should remember going into that time zone when he was in 2009. Yeah. So it's actually for me, a question of, and this is a question that I've seen debated in fandom, and I'm interested to see your take. First of all, and Dean actually questions this in the episode, is this a real timeline that Zach is showing him? Is it a fabricated timeline, kind of like the AU's, like, it's a yeah. terrible life that we've seen Zach throw him into before? Yeah. Or is it an alternate reality timeline? So it's actually two entirely separate Deans, or is it a secret fourth option that I haven't thought of? Okay. I don't think it's an accurate timeline at all. I think everything about this is fabricated. Okay, cool. That's definitely one side of the argument that I I think everything about this is fabricated. And do you want to know the reason why I think everything is Absolutely, I do. Because Cass has no powers. Okay, I wanted to talk about this as well. Because if Cass still had... I'm assuming that the angels leaving wouldn't completely strip Cass of any and all powers. Obviously, we might find more about Angel Law moving forward, but I think the reason why Cass doesn't have powers here is not because the angels left, quote-unquote, and Cass decided to stay behind. Mm -hmm. I think the reason Cass doesn't have powers here is because Zacharias completed a completely fictional scenario where Cass doesn't have powers because... we can't send him back. So he can't send him back, which subverts the whole Cass snap me back thing. Yeah. Because if... Cass still had his powers, mm-hmm. he could snap Dean back. And I think if it was a genuine flash forward, there is a good chance that Cass would still have his powers. Okay. Which is why that he's had to fabricate this entire situation. And also, just the way that they just say, Sam said yes, they don't know why Sam said yes. Mm-hmm. And also, the fact that this future Dean doesn't know that this has happened before. Mm-hmm. And also... He's like, if I could go back, I would say yes to Michael in a heartbeat. It just seems too over the top to not be completely fabricated to try and convince Dean to say yes to Michael now. Okay, I have some additional points that I would like to add on to this. So, very quickly, we talked about this in episode 403, the last time we had like time travel specifically in an episode. And I talked about. Also, the time travel in 403 just vibes different. Yes, very true. To be fair, that was going back in time versus yeah. forward. And there's like a whole thing about like John and Mary and that. So it's like a whole different thing. But I do agree. It's a very different vibe. I wanted to mention that in that episode, I posited the theory that the angels were lying about why they sent Dean back in time. It was actually so yeah. that Cass could be there as a spy. And my sort of theory hinged on the fact that Cass used the same phrase, right? Yeah. We have another instance of that in this episode where before Zach zaps Dean into the quote unquote future... Dean says to Sam on the phone that Lucifer is going to wear him to the prom. And then in the quote unquote future, future Dean says Lucifer is wearing Sam to the prom. And so my thought is this is not the first time we've seen an angel 
use a line, like, if he is a created character by Zachariah, yeah. he is using Dean's own dialogue. And it could be a, like, a writing technique to show, like, it's the same Dean with the same brain. Like, but as much as Dean has changed, he's still fundamentally the Dean, same person. Yeah, who would make that joke. But it could also be Zachariah using actual excerpts from Dean's own dialogue yeah. to make him a more convincing character. Yeah. Right? So that's my thought. My question is, and I'm so glad you pointed out the cast doesn't have powers, because to me, knowing the future context of the show and like how like the structure of heaven kind of works and how angel powers kind of work, yeah, I think it's a 50-50 on whether or not the host leaving, which first of all, where would they go? Like yeah. that's my number one question is I'm like, okay, they left, but where did they go? Number two question is like, it's a 50-50 on whether or not that would cause an angel to like specifically lose their powers especially entirely because their powers are tied to their grace yeah and he basically the way he says it is like he's lost his grace now and he's a human like anna was yeah kind of thing but that's not it's not the same process he didn't rip out his grace no he didn't have from what we're told have his grace taken from him it's just that the host disappeared and it seems to be that without that sort of connection he's lost his powers which like okay that could be new law that they're kind of introducing I personally don't think it really holds up given future context, yeah. but also I could be forgetting something. It's been a while. However, bearing in mind that Lucifer is also an angel. Lucifer still has his mojo. Lucifer is still at full power. Yeah. Theoretically. Like, we don't have any reason to think that Lucifer is not at his full capacity, but he is still an angel. Archangel or no, he is still an angel and the host has still left. And also so, the implication is not that Cass has just lost his power. It's like that Cass has lost his power for a long time. Yeah, he said that he, like, broke his ankle, like, two years ago or something and was, like, laid up for So it's not even just, like, that Lucifer is powerful enough that he's sort of hold on and his power's fading, but he's still got enough of it that he can... Mm -hmm. It's like, you would assume that would have fully faded by now. Yeah, or at least significantly diminished. And, like, here's the thing, though. Why would Zachariah still have his power in the future if there is no angel power in the future? I think that that might be Zachariah doing that thing where he's like, he from the current is mm. just like invisible, like observing kind of thing. And so like, yeah. it's not him in the future, it's him in the past. So he still has the connection because but if of can, timeline wibbly wobbly stuff. But if you can draw connection from the past... Why wouldn't have Kaz drawn connections from yeah, the past? I guess timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly stuff. I guess it's just, honestly, it comes down to plot, 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 convenience, convenience, yeah. convenience, you're watching Yours, Supernatural. Yeah. But it is compelling if you try and think about it. And the other thing is we get in this scene, Dean from our timeline and, and Cass from Inverse, which is how this particular sort of AU setting is, is described. We see them interact for the first time and Cass immediately goes, whoa, like, you're not you, not now you, like, when are you from? So he clearly still has some kind of inhuman abilities. Like, we still know that he has retained some of his angelic kind of sense. It's just clearly not directly linked to, like, he's not able to smite stuff. He can't just automatically heal himself. He can't time travel. He can't fly. Like, we, we get that, but we also get that he's still not, fully human but it's clearly more like i guess a sixth sense rather than like actual mojo oh speaking of zachariah i forgot to mention this before but canonically dean doesn't poop for seven days after the events of this episode because zachariah zapped him and we know from last episode but then Kaz also (laughs) zaps him 
Yeah. So is it like so he, he doesn't he gets for two weeks? Three times. Once to go back, once to go sorry, once to go forward, once to go back, and then once, once out move. of the room. So he's not pooping for at least twenty one days. That's my maths. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's how that works, but I'm just gonna say it is. Oh, I had a very fun thought that I think you're gonna have a fun thought with me. Okay. I was thinking about Ruby in this episode oh, for okay. obvious reasons. Specifically the fact they bring the cult back. Mm-hmm. And it made me realize the reason Ruby fixed the cult was just in case Sam didn't want to go all the way with the demon blood so that he could still kill Lilith to start the apocalypse. And while I was thinking about Ruby, it made me think. Between seasons three and season four, she obviously gets the new vessel and she gets sent back to help for a time. Mm-hmm. It seems like in the first season, she's not working for Lilith. And I know that's kind of the point. Do you mean season three? The first season with Ruby. Yeah, from the first season with Ruby to when we see her in the second season when she's played by a different actress, Mm -hmm. she gets sent to hell. What if she got rebooted in hell the same way Cass does when he gets sent back to heaven? I never considered that. Because she... I guess there's nothing to say she... Like, we know everything of Ruby that we're ever Mm going to know at this point, so there's no way I can spoil you. I don't... Like, I don't think we ever get an instance of, like, demon lobotomies the same way we get angel lobotomies, but, Mm -hmm. like... I guess there's nothing to say that it's not possible. They could have put her back into, like, demon boot camp and been Mm. like, remember who you are, full Simba Mufasa moment, and then sent her back out into the field. Because leading up to the season three finale, they try to kill Lilith. Mm. And, like, there's actually a genuine chance that they could have killed Lilith, even if it was an accident. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense to me why, sort of, if, if... Ruby was working for Lilith at that time. It needed to hinge on Lilith dying at the right time. time. It doesn't make sense of why they would open up the possibility for Lilith to die ahead of time. Ahead of schedule, yeah. I didn't so even think of that. what if, like, Ruby got rebooted and so that when she first meets Sam, she's not working for Lilith, but when she comes back, she is because she's been rebooted in hell. That's interesting. I suppose the other concept is... Because Sam and Dean can't see the demon's like true visage, and because we is don't it have even Cass, still Ruby. Yeah, we don't actually have Cass in season three. So yeah. is Ruby from the first season, from season three, dead? Yeah. And actually, the Ruby we get in season four, an entirely different demon who is just acting out being Ruby. Because she's different from season three yeah, to clearly. season four. She is different like yeah and not just in the sense of like a new vessel but like she behaves differently and that like that could honestly just be like different acting choices and stuff and that is probably what it is and like the same behaviors look different on different people with different faces like that's just unavoidable but it is definitely an interesting idea we probably can't afford to delve into it too much more right now because like there is already so much to discuss here and i feel like that's the sort of thing though that to actually be able to prove definitively i'd have to go back and Rewatch season three and then rewatch season four and be able to point out. Like, I don't think I could pay you any money in the world no. to make you rewatch season three. Maybe some of season four and I key would, episodes of season yeah, three. Yeah, I, I could. I would rewatch like maybe three or four episodes of season three, and there's maybe five or six episodes of season four that I willingly rewatch. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm not going through and rewatching the entire season <laughs> to prove the series. But I just, I had the thought. I was like, here's the thing: the Winchesters have the gun, mm-hmm. and they are in the same place as. Lilith. Mm-hmm. It's enough of a threat to Lilith that it's like too much of a threat because if she dies at that moment, it's gonna. All fuck they everything. need to do is get in a lucky shot, and Lilith is dead. And the apocalypse is over. Yeah, I suppose that like Ruby could be there to like if they 
do happen to get lucky, like, she can use her demon powers to, like, divert the bullet or, like, whatever, or move Lilith or... Yeah. I suppose, but I honestly think that your theory makes a bit more sense. Getting back to today's episode, and not two seasons ago. <laughs> I don't know, man. The voice says I'm almost out of minutes. Cass is iconic in this episode. <laughs> there are a couple of things about Cass. Like, there's a lot about Cass is an end first yeah. Cass, but there's also a couple of things about current timeline Cass in this episode they that are just... They had an appointment. Oh my god. That Okay. There's a couple of things where I'm like, these will be helpful tools to help us later. The first one, obviously, like, the line being like, it's not funny, Dean. The voice says I'm almost out of minutes. It's just hilarious. But also when he says, what stuff? Like, he just sounds so offended that Dean might have to do anything like brush his teeth or, like, any inconvenient human Humans hygiene. Are so inconvenient. Right? They're so needy. Like, <laughs> But the particularly iconic moments come from... I'll just wait here then. And then just him standing there, stock still. And the implication is he is just going to stand there like that (laughs) until the morning when he can go and meet Dean in the motel. Iconic. It will come back. This particular scene will be referenced down the track. So it's worth taking note of it now. Anyone listening at home will know exactly what I'm talking about, but it does become quite an iconic moment for the series, and particularly for Cass, it's just very specific. And at the end of the episode, the moment where, you know, Cass is like, you know, where we had an appointment, and we get this, like, little fond look between the two of them. First of all, it is used a lot in fan edits. Yeah. I'm sure you can see why. I also feel like this scene alone is going to be responsible for, like, every AU version of Cass ever being, like, clinically punctual. Like, (laughs) Cass in any universe... Cannot be like. Except maybe Enverse, yeah. ironically. Yeah. <laughs> so that, but also Dean's response, which is to grab him by the shoulder, look him in the eye and say, don't ever change. That will be relevant later. That's going to come up. And I kind of do want to touch on it a little now, if you'll indulge me. And I do realize this entire podcast is you just indulging me. I'll allow it. Thank you. I do actually want to talk about a different media for a moment. Okay, yep. I want to talk about Our Flag Means Death. Okay, yep. So you know how at the end of... For anyone who hasn't seen Our Flag Means Death, if you are trying to avoid spoilers, maybe skip the next couple of minutes, but for anyone who's watched it, hopefully you know what I'm talking about. At the end of the first season, we have sort of Steed having this horrible feeling like he has somehow broken Blackbeard, like... He's completely fundamentally, like, fucked him up somehow because he's just a different person. And it's all Steed's fault, basically. He, like, he doesn't realise that it's not so much that he's a different person as it is he's just let go of the facade of who he is. Pretend, like, he is not actually this super stoic, has no emotions, ruthless killer person. That's just kind of what he's presenting as a coping mechanism, as a defence mechanism. Decoded. Decoded. And... Steed doesn't realise that Ed showing that side of himself is actually a good thing in terms of his vulnerability and the fact that he feels safe and the fact that it's okay to change. It's actually the highest compliment that he's showing Steed's side of himself. But Steed is like, oh God, I've broken him and it's terrible and the worst. I want to put that into the context of 2019, seeing end verse Cass Mm. and comparing it to current Cass and then saying, don't ever change. 
he's looking at Cass as he knows him and understands him and feels fond of him. Mm. And he sees where his quote-unquote future self brought Cass. Yeah. And this disparity between those two things, for me, it just... Also, it's really weird. He wasn't wearing the trench coat and my brain refused to acknowledge that it was Cass. (laughs) I was like... You're like, that's just Misha Collins. What's he doing here? (laughs) Basically, like, I literally... I had to stop and take a picture of the picture to be like... Wait, is that fucking, like, is that actually... Oh, the one that Dean finds where it says yeah. Chautauqua? Like, I was like, it's not Cass. He's wearing the wrong clothing. I'm like, is that just, like, a random photo f- from set that they were like, <laughs> we're going to use as a prop? We're like, like, we ran out of extras. Misha's not doing anything. <laughs> we'll just put him in. We'll just stand him there. No one will notice. What is very fun about that in particular is that last week when we recorded with August from Saving People Queering Things, you were talking about how if Dean ever saw Cass wearing his clothes, he'd probably have something like an aneurysm. And August was DMing me going, I can't stop thinking about how in next episode 504, Dean is literally going to see N vs. Cass in clothes that are obviously Dean's. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> and he does almost have an aneurysm. Yeah. To be fair, it is also because... He calls him Hippie Cass, but I actually, my first note when I saw him was Zen Cass. The Buddha statue kills me every time. (laughs) I am very sad, though, because I feel like they really did miss an opportunity here. All they needed was, like, one or two dudes in In the orgy orgy circle, circle. and, like, Dean would be dead. Catatonic. Like, catatonic completely. Honestly, like, what a missed opportunity. We even get the line from Cass where he's like, I thought you'd gotten over trying to label me. And it's like, come on, Edlund. Like, come on. On that, this is a Ben Edlund episode. While we're talking about queer interpretations of this Ben Edlund episode, uh huh. Rhonda Hurst. I, I knew that's where you were going to go. My notes are in all caps. I'm so excited to hear what you think. Rhonda Hurley, and we were kind of gay about it, is my exact <laughs> note. This is peak Dean deconstruction of masculinity. This is peak queer Dean. This is... I have no words. Do you have words? No. (laughs) Not quite enough to properly explain exactly what the fuck is happening here. Because (laughs) this episode, they really just said, let's make everything kind of gay. Which after last episode, honestly, like, I genuinely, I'm like, at this point, are Sarah Gamble, Ben Edlund, and Jeremy Carver just sitting at the table going... How are we going to make it gay this week? And also, how are we going to leave out Sam? Like, (laughs) they were like, Sam's really unnecessary, except for when they're going to have Sam inhabited by Lucifer and also acting incredibly queer. Yeah. Like, (laughs) you cannot tell me that that white suit is straight. Like, (laughs) that is the gayest shit I have ever seen Sam wear. Oh, Not to go all stereotyping about it, but also... It's queer fashion. Lucifer is gay. (laughs) I don't know how else to... Spicy hot take. Like... (laughs) Queer icon Lucifer. (laughs) Also, I am so mad because I literally had this one ad that popped up on my Facebook and I took a screenshot to send to Beth like two, three days ago to be like, okay, are you where Cass wears this when? It was like (laughs) about Mark Blazer with like... Is white with like golden angel wing lapels. I almost sent it to Beth like three days ago. Like, when's Cass gonna wear this? And then fucking Lucifer shows up wearing a goddamn white suit. And what the fuck, bro? First of all, 
The picture is hilarious and uncanny. Second of all, my headcanon is that is what Cass would wear in an AU where he and Dean get hitched at a Vegas church. And also, we should absolutely put it in the tweet announcing this episode so anyone who wants to see what it looks like can go and look because it is impeccable. Back to Ron Hurley. Yeah. We, we need to dissect it a little bit. Okay. First of all, Dean could have said literally anything to himself. Like, there are lots of things that only Dean would know. This is the one where he's like, I would guard this secret so tightly with my entire... I would go to my grave with this secret. No one else would possibly... This is the one thing in my entire life that I could tell myself and know without a doubt there is no one else possibly alive who could ever know this except Rhonda Hurley herself. But even then, Rhonda Hurley would only know that he tried them on and not that he he liked it. it. Also, he was 19, which is, like, specifically interesting that they, like, call that out because that means that Sam was, like, still around. That means Sam was still a minor. Like, so John's, like, maybe around to, like, watch Sam for, like, the first time ever. Like, I just think, like, 19 is, like, quite, quite young. And so, anyway, I just think that that's interesting. I cannot wait till we get to the point where it's, like, the secret that he'd tell future Dean to, like, know that it's him is, like, yep, I fucked Cass in that barn. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's, uh, it's it's very, it's a very key, a key point. But, yeah, so the secret is not necessarily that he tried them on. The secret is that he liked it. Mm-hmm. And, like, that is the admission. That is the thing that is, like, taboo, you know? And yeah. I just think that is so interesting particularly for Dean's character, particularly when it comes to his performative masculinity and how sort of fragile that concept is and like how reliant he is on that sort of idea of being so hyper-masculine and like what that means for like the context of a queer interpretation. I also, I kind of want to talk about how this episode is low-key kind of fucking psychic with the whole Mm -hmm. Yeah. toilet... I know. I was so... Here's the thing, right? The thing about it is that Supernatural is sometimes that dodgeball meme that we often equate you to. It is fucking (laughs) buck wild. I know. That they make the joke about hoarding toilet paper. Uh Uh-huh. And also, like, everything about, like, the hotspots and stuff. I know. Like, Croatoan pandemic reaches Australia. I was like, Australia shout out. I also love that, like, they're like, ah, yes, the furthest reaches of the world Australia. Nothing ever happens there. <laughs> but no, so we get demon COVID mm-hmm. again. I know. The fact that you call it demon COVID and then it literally, literally becomes um, like demon COVID, COVID equivalent. Like, fucking wild. I like, know. I was accidentally psychic in a way that I didn't even think I was being psychic because I was just making a joke about the episode. I know. Like, did psychic you, Jamie knows said, no bounds. In Croatoan, when I said that, did you yes. remember this? Yes. And remember how fucking relevant that was to this? Yes. My immediate thought was hoard toilet paper because it's gold. Also, honestly, the whole bit where Zachariah's like reading the paper and he says, no more sports, congressman revoked the right to group assembly. And I was like, fuck, man. Like, <laughs> fucking wild. Oh, I do just want to talk about something that really fucking confused me this episode. Okay. So, Dean's been flashed to the future. Mm-hmm. Great. The hotel room, the mattress that he is laying on, is fucking incinerated. Like, you can see the springs. Yes. Right? The mattress is incinerated. And the rest of the room is incinerated. 
But the fucking curtains are still perfectly intact. I did not notice, but I love that you did. <laughs> like, everything about the room is kind of charred. You're so right. And, but, but the curtains You're are so Like, there's not a single tear. They're just kind of, like, roughly ash-stained. But they are still in, like, they're still whole. Okay, hear me out. Hear me out. Wild batshit theory that has no substance whatsoever. It's my bread and butter. Angels, not necessarily able to be invisible, however, can camouflage. The curtains are Zachariah. (laughs) Oh my god! It's decoupage. (laughs) This is not at all, like, this is based in nothing other than I just think it would be really funny. No, I'm just finding a face that, like, a a shirt that's, like, two curtains and, like, Zachariah's face is just, like, barely (laughs) visible on one of the curtains. You know those, um, sequin pillows where, like, you flick it and it's, like, it becomes a picture or something? Or, like, oh my god, no. You know that movie Sky High where that one girl's ability is that she can just, like, become a beach ball or whatever? Mm. It's like that. But Zachariah can become various wall hangings slash curtains. What do we think Cass becomes then? Oh, good question. I would argue, though, that later in the episode, Zachariah becomes the beaded curtain over Cass's cabin door. Oh, what would Cass be? I kind of want to say Cass can be any sort of car. Interesting. I want to say coat rack. (laughs) Fucking hell, we missed the obvious one, lamp. Oh my god. Oh my god, how did I not think that immediately? I'm so glad you said that, because if I had been editing this episode, I would have been furious if neither of us said that. Nah, scratch that. Cass is a lamp. Cass is a lamp. Zachariah's curtains. Eventually, the whole garrison will furnish a room. What do we think Uriel was? I want to say a couch. I don't know why. I just... Yeah, he has couch vibes, but yeah. I can't explain it either. Maybe it's just because he's so, like, like you walk into a room and you're just aware of him. Like, he, he took up a lot of space. Yeah. Like, you know, like, he was very, like, he commanded the room. Like, I, I think when we discussed him, I said a lot that he really yeah. commanded the space. So having him as, like, he has to be a large object. Like, mm-hmm. either that or, like, a table, maybe? Mm-hmm. Like, something, or even a television where, like, yeah. you're paying attention mm-hmm. to it. But it's also just kind of there. Mm. Actually, do you know what? I would probably put Anna as, like, a television or a radio mm. because she was, like, perceiving the angels mm. without understanding it, kind of like a broadcast. Yeah. I know you don't support my theory, but <laughs> if the trickster as an angel was a piece of furniture, he's a ceiling fan. Oh, okay. For I the would... sheer drama of, like, the terror that it's going to fall on you. Yes, that I personally have. Yeah. Yes, my very specific fear from childhood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's specific to you, though, because I also have that fear. Okay. Hear me out, though. I was going to say, using your theory, he would be a board game or, like, a game of Twister. Just for the chaos, you know? What's Chuck? He counts in this analogy. Is he just the house? Is he the room? I don't know. I feel like Chuck's maybe just, like, oxygen. Okay. Chuck is atoms. Yeah. (laughs) Because, like, Chuck's not an actual angel. He does become God. And I feel like God is just... Sorry. I just made a massive facial expression that completely yeah. stopped you in your train of thought. But I just realized I forgot to mention Chuck, the existence of Chuck in this episode also kind of harkens into the fact that maybe this is not actually the future. Maybe it is a projection by Zachariah because why the fuck would Chuck stay in Enverse if Chuck is God? And like, obviously the argument is like, they He's may not have not intended yet. him to yeah. be God. It also falls into the argument of maybe Chuck is not God yet. But with, like, the context of knowing that eventually that is the arc they go with, like, it doesn't really, if he is God at this point, it does not make sense that he would stay on Earth if the entire host has deserted and it is the apocalypse. Like, in theory... He should have jumped shit. In theory, he should have, like, moved on to his next project. I also just think 
the personality they've sort of ascribed to Chuck in this episode is proof. Like, I understand that people can change in five years, but also Chuck's not writing anymore. Mm. And there's not even a mention of, like, oh, well, he tried to write a better ending. Because theoretically, Chuck could write them out of this situation. Without him actually being definitively God at this point, Mm. I don't think that he could just construct any ending he liked. I think he would have to perceive it to be able to write it. And if the host has disappeared and Cass is cut off from his powers, I would assume that Chuck Chuck is also cut off from his powers. Has probably also lost his profiting abilities, although they don't actually address that. So that's just my speculation. But it's weird that they wouldn't address it if it was genuinely Chuck. I also think it's interesting that Chuck is involved in Chautauqua. I just think that that is, I think it's a fun inclusion, regardless of like the narrative purpose. I think it's fun that he is there. And I think it makes sense. I also think it is sad that it's heavily implied that Bobby's dead because we, like, don't see him and we do see the, like, blood-stained gunshot mm. wheelchair. But I also understand that they probably just needed a way for him to not be included in this episode. I also, I do love, though, that Dean's first gut instinct is... To go to Bobby's? Go to Bobby's. I know. Like... Bless his cotton socks. I love him. Dean and Bobby. I really love that that was his instinct. He was... Where can I go that I know will be safe? Like, where can I go that I know I can trust? Where can I go where this will not get me shot on sight? Like, Because <laughs> he doesn't know yet if he's dead in this sort of, like, AU universe yet. Mm-hmm. So, like, even if he was dead, he knows that Bobby's not going to shoot him because he has returned from the dead in the past. Like, yeah, exactly. They've been through this. <laughs> They've done this once before. Did oh, you- I also love the fact that he, like, he gets to Bobby's And he's already halfway down the hallway and he goes, Bobby, I'm coming in. (laughs) It's like, bro, you're in the house. Uh, Yeah, look, Dean is nothing if not a man of action. I'm surprised though that they didn't show us Dean checking Bobby's panic room. Oh yeah, that's a good point. You'd think that that would be somewhere that he would, I suppose he sees the wheelchair and just, you know, assumes the worst. I'm just surprised that they didn't show us to establish that, like, he checked the whole house. Like, yeah. Oh, bro. Imagine if he'd gone down there and found Sam locked in the panic room. Although, I do want to, like, very quickly mention, we don't see Bobby's body, which, like, for me, puts the assumption that at some point, Endverse Dean collected Bobby's body and they did a funeral. Yeah, because it's Sam that is 100% against Hunter funerals. Yeah, not Dean. It's not Dean. It's always... Sam. Oh, Briefly, I do want to touch on a theory that we haven't mentioned in a while because it's not really been super relevant. The state of the Impala being representative of Dean's emotional state. Yeah. Because in this episode, our Dean comes across the Impala and it is fucking wrecked. Like, it is destroyed. It is completely overgrown with weeds and plants and whatever. It's totaled. It's clearly not run. Yeah. Probably in the last five years. I think that's really indicative of... Enverse Dean's emotional state. Like I think it's also really funny that Enverse Dean is closer to John than he's ever been. And even like our timeline Dean like makes the point there is something broken in you. There yeah. is something fundamentally wrong with this version of myself. Like something has happened. And like that could be a result of the trauma and the circumstance, but it could also be a result of Zachariah just projecting a fake version of Dean into his own sort of makeshift world. Oh, I also did just want to really, really quickly want to point out, at the end we have the obligatory Sam and Dean have an emotional moment by the Impala scene. Yeah. They walk towards each other like they're in a Western and they're like, I was waiting for them like, do, 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 do,
But Dean makes a comment about how Sam is the second best hunter that he's ever known. Oh, second best hunter in the world. And I would just like to say, like, Dean should really be less harsh on himself because clearly number one is Bobby. Bobby. Yeah, I had the like, same thought. I'm like, no, no, I think if you're going to make that joke, Sam has to be number three. Because <laughs> Bobby is number one. Yeah. Clearly. Okay, I know earlier you said that you had a other, couple of other debates that were central to this episode. I'm almost out of points. So if you want to ask I'm me them now. almost out of points, bro. I have yeah. so many I want to talk about. So very quickly before I, like, get into that, yeah. because honestly, I've kind of already brought them up with you we did basically discuss them in one chunk but yeah. in that moment at the end of the episode where Sam and Dean are having their mm-hmm. like you know I know I said we were weaker together but actually we're stronger together because like context or oh whatever. I did have a note about that because that's fucking bullshit Every t- <laughs> like they're always like oh we're weaker together because they can use like the other person to target us it's like they can do that when you're apart as well bro yeah I know fucking think about it like it's okay. always bothered me When you're together, they can sort of, like, use you against each other. But also, they can do that when you're apart, too. Like, it is easier to capture both of you when you're apart. Uh Uh-huh. And then if they capture both of you, they can bring you together, too. Yeah. Like, literally, let's use last episode as a reference point where you've split up and Sam is immediately nearly killed and or and is assaulted. If Dean had been in the vicinity, I'm sure that would have gone down different. It's a ridiculous mentality, but they keep it up the rest of the show, so we just have to put up with it. (laughs) Anyway, at the very end, Dean says to Sam, we keep each other human. And I was like, well, a fucking bang up job y'all do of that. Let's just look at season four in general. (laughs) Because I would argue that Sam gets pretty far from human in that season. And, like, there's, like, future stuff that we can't get into right now, but, like, anyone listening at home will know. There are points that they get to where I would argue, uh, you know, without spoilers, you know, uh, I'm specifically thinking, like, season 10, you know? Anyway, I don't think they do that great of a job of keeping each other human is my point. (laughs) But also, yeah, it is absolutely bullshit, the whole speech of, like, oh, like, we're better apart. It's melodrama for the sake of melodrama. And I get it because, like, we understand the context of, like, where, where Dean's head's at. But it's also, like, from an objective audience viewpoint, it's yeah. pretty clear that this is just false. And also the implication is, again, like, Zachariah keeps on trying to teach Dean stuff. Yeah. And Dean takes the wrong lesson from it. In It's a Terrible Life. Mm-hmm. He's trying to teach Dean that, like, he was destined for this or whatever. Yeah. And Dean walks away thinking, yeah, nah. In this episode, the point he's trying to make is that, like, you're better off to say yes now, torch half the world, and then you can recover. Mm-hmm. If you say no, this is going to get extended out, it's going to get drawn out, and Everyone you're going to torch the entire world instead of just half the world. That's not what Dean takes away from it, though. Mm-hmm. Dean takes away where I went wrong was I cut Sam out, which yeah. left Sam vulnerable. Do you know what is really interesting is I don't think Dean is learning the wrong lesson i think he's actually learning the right lesson it's just not the lesson zachariah intended to teach no which is so interesting when you compare it with sam in stuff like with mystery spot where sam just doesn't learn anything like (laughs) like at least dean is learning sam's just like nah i just think that i'm gonna do the same thing anyway dean may not be drawing the intended conclusion from the curriculum but he's still drawing a conclusion from the curriculum. Yeah. Sam is not drawing any conclusion, <laughs> Sam is whether like, intended 
or otherwise. And I'd also argue every time they've tried to teach Sam a lesson, they have been trying to teach him the correct lesson. Yeah. Versus Dean. Where, like <laughs> they, they keep on trying to teach him the wrong thing. Okay. So now that you know about the whole Sam Lucifer, Dean, Dean Michael, Michael plot, like, yeah. vessels, blah, blah, blah. I can elaborate on this a little bit more. I've been saying to you for like ages that even though they didn't have this planned when they were writing seasons one, two, three, you can go back to seasons one, two, three and see these concepts fucking baked in. Because what is so fascinating about it is that Sam and Dean's personalities are perfect for the Michael Lucifer plotline. Because you have Sam, who is literally the younger brother, who hates authority and will rebel at any given opportunity. If John is like, you will do this, he's like, no. You know, anyone tries to tell Sam to do anything, he's like, he takes it terribly. He refuses and he will keep on pushing his point, even if it is so clearly the wrong point, because he is determined to be right. Dean, on the other hand, will listen to authority to a motherfucking fault and will carry it out purely because it's coming from a place of authority that he respects as like an objective truth or an objective justice. And it is so Michael, Lucifer, Dean, like you can go back to season one and you can be like, oh, and it feels like foreshadowing. It's not intended because they didn't know this is where they were going, but it is so consistently baked into their characters that it feels like they meant to do this the whole time. And it's, bizarre when i said that john is their god equivalent i wasn't kidding that wasn't just like a fun comparison like john literally is the god equivalent in this equation where dean is michael and sam is lucifer and it's fucking fascinating when we do do our like review of the kripke era this is one of the things where i want to go back to some key episodes where you can actually really fundamentally see these dynamics playing out like particularly like dead man's blood is a really because it's one of the first episodes we really get john Like, you can see it. You can see the rebellion and you can see the, like, authoritarian and you can see the obedience. And, like, it's just so fucking blatant that going back to it, it feels like the most heavy-handed foreshadowing of all time. I think it's really interesting talking about, like, the way that Dean takes lessons, quote-unquote, from the angels versus the way that Sam takes lessons, quote-unquote, from the trickster. Yeah. Or also the angels in, like, various circumstances. It is interesting to see what they do or don't learn from these scenarios because I think that it furthers their characterization in a way that feels true of their characters but also of their respective archangel personas, I suppose. It's just, it's really interesting. Could it almost be that they designed the angels to mirror? So they sort of got to this point and realized, oh, well, like, we better, so they just sort of designed the angels to mirror? Retroactively? Mm. They very well could have, but honestly, the way that it mirrors, like, the actual yeah. depiction of Michael Lucifer, I think that it almost was just the perfect accident. They just introduced angels and they were like, hang on a fucking minute. It probably works better than if they'd actually planned to do it this way. Oh, I just want to say that, like, making over the meat suit was a phrase that I said once, and I didn't think it was going to be... <laughs> Super duper fucking relevant to a whole lot of stuff. Because he really does. I also just have a note that says the devil dot 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 roasted. And I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember exactly what lines it is about. But it was right near the end. Yeah, I have no idea what that could be about. But oh. I'm no boy. I'm actually really curious. What did you think of the Lucifer portrayal in this episode? Like characterization and like the actual performance of it. Because there is an opinion in fandom and 
I don't know if I agree with it. And I'm interested to know what your take is. I don't know that I necessarily like the interpretation of, like, Sam as Lucifer. Mm -hmm. Something about it just feels kind of off to me, and I'm not sure, like, what it is. Maybe it's, like, the white suit and the roses and, like, I don't know. Like, it just doesn't feel like it's in line with the previous version that we've gotten of Lucifer. I agree. I do think it's fun and interesting, though. I just don't necessarily know if I think it's great. There obviously, and this goes with every topic we cover in this pod and every topic that we don't cover, honestly, because we don't cover everything. It's just impossible. Sometimes we say big yikes and move on. Yeah. But there's lots of different interpretations, obviously, as as with any media. And I've seen a lot of people who really, really love this interpretation of Lucifer. And I get it. But I think I agree with you, which is that I just don't feel like this version fits very well. So this... More proof that it's a completely fabricated AU because it's not really Lucifer. Yeah, here's the thing. So we have Lucifer as we've seen him so far in our timeline. We get later sort of iterations of Lucifer beyond where we've seen up to. And is Zachariah designing Lucifer so that he's the most defensive 14? Quite potentially. Like, this is the thing because the later iteration of Lucifer that we get... I cannot really elaborate on because you haven't seen it yet and it is very plot specific as to why he is presented in that way. And I will talk about that as we get on. Fair and valid. Lucifer, as we've had him from Nick, I feel is very different from the Lucifer that we have presented when he's possessing Sam. And yes, like that could fall into a case of it's actually Zachariah's fabrication. I think because Dean has also not met Lucifer at this point. He only knows that Sam has met Lucifer. And even that is like in a dream. And Sam's actually not in this episode. Until like the last 30 seconds and slash on the phone. Yeah. Like (laughs) Sam has exactly like two minutes of screen time in this entire episode. To the point where I was like, if we hadn't just had a Jeremy Carver episode last week, I would have thought that this was a Jeremy Carver episode. (laughs) Here's the thing. I have two kind of issues with that scene. Yeah. One very, very petty and specific to me. I hate the way that he pronounces the word details because what he says is details and it's so annoying. That's not how you say the word. The word is details. It sounds like he's saying the word debt and then the word ale with an S on the end. Like it doesn't sound like details. He sounds like details. And I'm like, it's like when you're trying to pretend to speak fancy Mm. and I'm like, it doesn't work. I don't know what was happening there, but it just always annoys me. It's just probably a me being petty thing, but it's just something about it grinds my yeah. gears. The other thing is, and this is a 1520 thing, and we all know my opinion on 1520. We also know you haven't actually seen it. We all know that Beth's opinion, just for a refresher, she thinks it's the single greatest episode <laughs> ever released. And she rewatches it at least once a week. Yeah, no, that's totally Such a satisfying ending for 15 years. I've never been more excited or happy with an episode of Delsh. I can't even get through that, honestly. It was just fucking trash. But the point is, the whole thing about the speech that Lucifer gives is that it does not matter what you do. It doesn't matter what details you alter. We will always end up here. And then they don't. Like, if 15, if 10 seasons later... Yeah. We had come back to, even if it was just that setting, like it didn't have to be Lucifer and Sam. It didn't have to be that. But like, I think it would have been really interesting for them to call back to that moment because like, at least it would have felt like, like they, nothing was stopping them. 
Nothing was stopping them. They called back Jenny the motherfucking vampire, but they didn't call back this perfect setup. Even if they had changed the circumstances completely, but it was like the same rose garden. Or for some reason, Sam was in a white suit. Or anything. Anything Sam's like that. Sam's in a white suit because he's going to Dean and Cass's wedding. Maybe he's in a rose garden. Yeah. Here's the motherfucking thing. We could have had that. And then they didn't. And it, it annoys me. And I'm... As much as I hated 1520, and to be fair, I don't know how they would have worked that in, but like, it just seemed like a wasted opportunity because because so much of the last season is about the concept of free will and mm. about the concept of Chuck as God, and like, it just, it feels like it would have been so narratively satisfying if they'd done a callback to this episode and that speech. Yeah. Like, even if they had just sort of sampled the speech yeah. and put in, people would have recognised it. And I just think oh my god! What if they had made Chuck give the speech? Yeah. Before we move on from Lucifer, did you have any other thoughts about Sam Lucifer? Oh, it's very important to mention Sam says yes in Detroit. That'd be a helpful tool for later on. Yeah, Detroit as a location becomes significant. I did have noted down Sam says yes in Detroit, and it just seemed too specific to not be anything. So good to know that I was on the money there at least a little bit. Interestingly enough, they didn't explain why he says yes in Detroit. No, they, they just say that no context. Does. So if you have no other points about Lucifer, I have one final one, and it's okay. actually going to segue us back to Cass. Okay. So we're going to do a quick little roundabout. Yeah. We get the line from Lucifer where he says, I like you, Dean. I get what the other angels see in you. And I'm like, do you mean Cass? Literally all of the other angels Loki hate Dean, except maybe Anna. What are you talking about, sir? Even if Lucifer is a projection of Zachariah, that line makes no sense because Zachariah hates Dean. <laughs> Zachariah thinks Dean's a little shit. Exactly. So that line makes no sense unless he is exclusively talking about Cass and maybe Anna. Like, that's it. Um, and the trickster. Okay, even if you want to argue the trickster, I don't think the trickster likes Dean. <laughs> like, he likes Dean more than Sam, I reckon. I guess he spends more time tormenting Sam. Yeah, but also Sam never seems to learn. Like, do you think the trickster gets shitty? Because it's like, why does Zachariah get to teach Dean his lesson? (laughs) Dean's so much easier to fucking teach. I have to kill this bitch like 20 million times and Sam's still getting the wrong conclusion. Like, I also feel like maybe Dean is more likely to see the humour in the trickster's antics than Sam is. Yeah. You know? Like, maybe, I think it's just, like, a fundamental mismatch. Mm. Like, because I think Zachariah would have so much fucking fun messing with Sam. Like, so much fun. Yeah, I I think it's a real shame that up till this point, Zachariah's been, like, focused on Dean. messing with Dean. Because it's, like... If he was focused on Sam and Sam is Sam Wesson and it's a terrible life. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you made the joke in that episode that it's kind of like Sam was so irrelevant they could have basically had him in stasis except for the fact that Dean would not do what they wanted if Sam wasn't there to move the plot. Sam is doing almost exactly what Zachariah wants in most circumstances. Mm -hmm. Like, even in this circumstance, (laughs) he said yes. The one thing that Zachariah wants Dean to do, Sam has done. Like, (laughs) I just think, I just think they should just, like, swap. They seem to be getting better results. From Sam. Yeah. (laughs) That's because they want Sam to be Lucifer, essentially. And that's what he's doing. Like, he is fully ready to do that. And Dean's like, what if I didn't? What's interesting to me, though, is from this episode, we sort of get the implications that 
Sam is irrelevant. Okay, Sam is the true. <laughs> Sam is the true vessel of Lucifer. Right. Here's, here's the thing. Very quickly, I just want a blanket statement. We like Sam. It's just, it's just that it's arguable that the writers don't. We are working with what they're giving us, and it's not our fault that they don't like him because Jamie's got a bit of a point. No, my point is from this episode we get that like Sam is kind of. Here's the thing. They want Sam to be Lucifer because Sam is a much better vessel for Lucifer. But also, Lucifer is currently making do with Nick. However, Michael has not touched down on Earth because there doesn't seem to be another person on Earth that is suitable for Michael. The potential is that there is. Like, we have no reason to think that there isn't. But it might just be that they're like, well, there's no point because we, like, ultimately we need Dean. Yeah. Kind of the same way where Lucifer is like, ultimately, I need Sam, but in Michael's case, he has angels like Zachariah who are able to kind of go to yeah. Earth and manipulate stuff for him, whereas Lucifer's kind of working off his own back. So yeah. he needs to take a vessel if he wants to interact with Sam, whereas Michael doesn't. He can interact via other people, yeah. or other angels. But it's like, you also sort of get the implication that if Lucifer needed to fight the apocalypse in the Nick meat suit. He could theoretically do that. He could give it a red hot go. It's not ideal, but he could do that. Whereas Michael doesn't seem to have any other options but Dean. Like, if he tries to fight the apocalypse in any meat suit that is not Dean, he's, like, guaranteed to lose. It does seem to kind of be the implication. And I think that maybe it's just because... The angels are dramatic bitches? Yeah, honestly, like, I was trying to think of a way to phrase it, but, like, yeah, basically, like, I think Michael's just fucking picky. Like, if Lucifer can do it, there is theoretically nothing stopping Michael unless there is no other bloodline, and that just seems unlikely. So... Then why wouldn't he have just taken Adam? Like... Well, yeah, exactly. So... Adam seems much more reasonable than Dean, so, like... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to be fair, like... We only know Adam as presented by a ghoul. Yeah, Adam Ghoul's version. Yeah, literally. So I don't know that we can really draw any strong conclusions about Adam's actual, like, sense of purpose or moral duty. For all we know, like, as just a person who theoretically didn't know about the Hunter world until he died. So I've just connected some dots. So prepare to have some dots connected. I'm so excited to hear what dots you've connected, unless they have anything to do with the trickster. I might throw my phone at you. <laughs> so, Sam is the true vessel for Lucifer, right? Yeah. Dean is the true vessel for Michael, right? Yeah. They are the same fucking bloodline. Yeah. Which means that Sam is also a true vessel for Michael, and Dean is also a true vessel for Lucifer. Mm-hmm. The only reason they've sort of gone, oh, that one's mine, that one's mine, the only reason they've called dibs, I'm assuming, is because... Sam has the demon blood, and Dean was the one who kick-started the apocalypse. Like, up until that point, it would be fair game for either to be either. I think this is kind of where, like, the personalities also tie in. Like, yeah. the whole thing of, like, the younger brother and the older brother, and, like, yeah. yes, the whole righteous man plotline, and yes, the demon blood plotline. But also we have, like, from the fucking get-go, the last thing Mary ever said to Dean, angels are watching over you. Uh-huh. Like, it is baked in and we will get further context, actually, on this yeah. and, like, why it had to be Sam and why it had to be Dean. Like, this is not something that they just, like, let you come up with the interpretation by yourself. They've basically spelled it out for us at this point, which is why I don't mind sort of elaborating on it for you. But we yeah. get further elaboration from other characters yeah. where they spell out basically exactly what I just said before about 
it's Dean because he is the Michael equivalent. And it's Sam yeah. because he is the Lucifer equivalent. It is also about, like, birth, order, and that sort of stuff. But also... But you make a great point. Like, they are the same bloodline. Theoretically, genealogically, it could have been either. If if Michael wanted to use Sam as a meat suit, he could. Yeah. It might not be the best fit. It might not match perfectly. Mm-hmm. But he still could. Yeah. Because he is still a vessel that could contain Michael. Technically, Technically the DNA... Like, is not unless unless we want to argue that Sam's DNA is fundamentally shifted by the demon blood, but we don't really get any hard evidence for that either way, other than like the psychic abilities, which again, like we've discussed ad nauseum at this point. But like it could be viewed that he is a tainted vessel, ergo the angels being picky might not want to go for that. Whereas only, Lucifer is like, I'll the take the only I can other get. option we have to this interpretation is it's not about John at all. And Mary just had two affairs with two different men who happened to be fucking, like, angel vessels suitable. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> like, like either, either they are both John's kids and they are both theoretically suitable. suitable for either angel or Mary had, like, an affair. Like, twice. Or twice. At, or at least once. once. Yeah. At least once. The only... That I'm guessing it's John over Mary's DNA is because they've introduced Adam. Okay. Like, and I don't think they would have gone so far to confirm that Adam was John's kid mm-hmm. unless it was John's DNA that is relevant. Thinking about it, if it's the demon blood that makes Sam a more suitable vessel for Lucifer, mm-hmm. Adam doesn't have the demon blood. So no. does that mean that he's a more suitable vessel for Michael than Sam would be? I guess in theory, because like the like, whole thing is. Like, we don't get any further, like, confirmation on specifically the demon blood. But then it's like, but he's a younger brother. Like, does that completely make it irrelevant? Like, (laughs) so here's the thing. The demon blood, like, we don't really get any further confirmation about that aspect specifically being relevant. I said that I wanted to circle back to Cass. We got a little bit sidetracked, but I'm still determined. Mm Because I've got a few more notes to talk about because I think there is a lot to talk about. I feel like we've sort of briefly skimmed over this. My first point is I very briefly want to say kudos both to Jensen in this episode for doing so much acting opposite himself. Which you can see, like, how they've strategically done it so they can get, like, this split Split screen. And, like, like, honestly, like, I know that, like, you in particular, but also, like, me, like, we give Supernatural a lot of shit. The effects and stuff aging pretty poorly. Yeah. This one, honestly, I think holds up. It's obviously not, like, to the modern standard. I had no moments of this episode where I was like, wow, that's a really bad effect. The closest I came to that was literally in when he wakes up in the hotel room and I'm like, why the fuck are the curtains not? Yeah, wet? and we've got like, a headcanon for that now, yeah. so that's fine. That's we've we've that fixed part. that. <laughs> we've fixed that hole. Yeah, so like, I think it actually holds up and like, kudos to Jensen for acting so much opposite himself. I think that it's great. And I also think he does a really good job presenting Dean but two very clearly different versions of Dean that originated at the same point. Like, it's really interesting to see two diversions. And I think regardless of whether or not Zachariah has created this entire scenario fabricated, or if it is actually a flash forward in time, I think you can see how Dean, where he is now, could progress to be Mm. Dean at that point. And I think that is kudos both to Ben Edlund for writing it and also to Jensen for his portrayal. But also I do think it is a completely fabricated AU. You can, you can see, see the progression. how Dean would get there, but I also think it's too designed to make Dean worried. The progression is too perfect to this point uh-huh. for it to not have been specifically designed engineered that way to make Dean scared of what his future holds. 
Dean's specifically torturing again. Dean's yeah. willing to sacrifice civilians. All of the things that Dean's moral compass says, no, I will not do. Mm-hmm. It's like they've purposefully made Dean do all of them so that he'll be at the most woke. Because I personally don't think that if this was the true ending, that would be what Dean is like. Don't get me wrong, I certainly think he'd be part of the way there. I think that there is a clear trajectory where you could get Dean to that point. I think it would take a fucking lot to get him there. Like, at that point, who he is, like, the core of his person has been basically so shrouded by trauma and circumstantial things. Actually, he has an argument with our timeline, Dean, where our Dean is saying, you just shot a guy in cold blood. And future Dean says, this is 2014. That's called every day. Like, this is the new normal, bro. And, like, that's not the thing about new Dean that sends off, like, warning flags of this is not Dean. What sends off warning flags of this is not Dean is sacrificing his team. I understand Mm -hmm. him shooting the dude who's infected. I understand him torturing people again. But you've got to remember, this is the dude that it took 30 years in fucking hell before he agreed to torture somebody else yeah to even start torturing someone else or consider the idea you cannot tell me that five years of apocalypse Uh is going to be enough for him to to willingly sacrifice his team Mm -hmm. willingly and knowingly to actually plan to do it and have it be part of his strategy and not just his team but cast as well And here is the motherfucking thing about that. So do you remember I told you a couple of episodes ago that there's this really interesting pattern with Dean and Cass where always, always, they will make a point of like the singular and then they will caveat to the plural or they will talk about the plural and then caveat to the singular. And this is no exception. Usually it comes from the Cass side of things, but this is this is a different instance where it's Dean. And he says, you're going to feed your friends through a meat grinder Cast two, and it's a very interesting separation of the plural of the group to Cass by himself. Cass isn't just his friend. Because Cass is different to the rest. Hmm, I wonder why. And like, here's the thing. Because they're fucking. (laughs) Here's the thing. You could argue that it's just because Cass is the only one. You cannot tell me that Dean has not participated in Cass's orgies. (laughs) Here's the thing. You could argue that the reason that our current timeline version of Dean says that is because Cass is the only one of that cohort that he personally knows before this adventure, right? You could argue that. Because it's not like Chuck is going on the mission or anything like that. Exactly. Like, Like, the only other person that he knows in theory is himself. Also, I think that the reading that Cass is being separated because he somehow is different to the rest of them. Yeah, because they're fucking. (laughs) Because this is Dean, who we're talking about, who will refuse to sacrifice any civilian regardless like if we go back to if we go back to Croatoan where he chooses not to shoot the person who he's so sure is infected because on the chance that he is not if we go back to um, also this below, future, where he refuses to sacrifice the one person this future dean theoretically knows how to get rid of it because they've dealt with this before well like, actually because in in Croatoan we don't actually ever get a cure remember we, we don't actually they never overcome it it's just like the whole town just fucking disappears they go to evacuate and everyone is gone the only person who survives that episode are sam dean and the nurse or the doctor or the vet whoever she is that's it and the dude who's possessed by the demon that's it 
they never actually cure it. It's mm-hmm. one of the episodes where we don't actually get a real resolution. But then it's like it's heavily implied that this virus has been going on for so long. Why hasn't it dis- Like why haven't all the people disappeared yet? Because mm. that's how this virus works. It's interesting. I think this particular take is more of like a zombie apocalypse kind of vibe. Yeah. And I do kind of enjoy it, actually. I but it just doesn't seem to fit with the previous canon we've gotten about the Croatoan virus. Which also honestly could lean into the whole fabrication by Zach thing. But I want to come back to Cass, but I do very quickly want to note that I really love the sequence where Dean wakes up in the apocalypse world and he's like walking through all the rubble. I think that the camera angles are really interesting and I think that the camera work and direction doesn't... I feel like it 100% feels like it's been ripped straight out of like a zombie movie though. Yeah, but I think that's the yeah. point. I really enjoy it. I think the director was Steve Boyum, who I don't off the top of my head know what other episodes he's directed, but I know he has directed a few because I recognize the name. I think that that sequence is really done very well. The scene where Dean is running from the crows, I think, is done really well. I think that it does well to make the audience feel tense or make the audience feel like Dean has a reason to be paranoid, like some of the shots where it feels yeah. like you're the POV of someone also, watching we him. Get- Straight up the military in that first scene and they're just never mentioned again. But I do love the bit where like you... fabrication. (laughs) I do. Yeah, like they're they're unimportant NPCs that just haven't loaded because we're not close enough to them. I really like that scene where we have the music. I think the music is a perfect choice. I think it's really interesting to see the military, but they're clearly not like on duty as such because they're fully drinking and blasting music while they're mowing down what would have been civilians. It's such a fucked up setting and I just think that they did a really good job of setting it up for the audience to understand how far gone society is at this five like five year mark anyway getting back to my point about Cass so I know that I just did my whole kudos to Jensen but honestly Misha stole the show Misha in this episode like what we talked about him in the rapture with Jimmy this is another phenomenal example we get the photo of, like, the mall at the Camp Chikatwa or something? Uh, Chautauqua. Chautauqua. And I'm, like, looking at it and I'm, like, squinting. I'm, like, is that fucking... Is that Misha Khan? Like, yeah. I was, like, okay, but he's not wearing the trench coat, so he's obviously not Cass. And then we meet Zen Cass. Yeah. And it's, like, oh, no, he's just dressing like Dean now. Look, here's the thing. I love the way that Misha portrays Cass in this episode in both instances, because I love him as like our normal, regular old Cass. I adore him, but I also love him in this endverse version of Cass where he's just like basically constantly high and he's kicking his feet up on tables and he's having orgies and he's just, you know, so far gone from what we understand Cass Mm. to be as a character. And I just, the fucking wink when Dean walks into the orgy, like, scenario, and he's like, I'm just going to converse with our fearless leader. Like, fucking acting choices by Misha Collins that keep me awake at night. I want to talk about Enverse Dean and Enverse Cass versus Enverse Cass and current Dean. Because I do think that the interactions between the two are very interesting and very fun. I have a question for you, though. The scene where our Dean watches Enverse Dean shoot that guy... And then he, like, tries to warn him before it happens, right? And then Enverse Dean makes this point where he says, I'm not going to lie, me and him, we've got a pretty fucked up situation going on, but, like, I promise when you need to know, you'll know, right? Yeah. And in that scene, he, like, points back at, theoretically, our Dean. 
because that would make sense. Like, me and him, we've got a pretty fucked up situation going on. But then our Dean turns around and looks at Cass. Because they fucking. Because they fucking. Because here's the thing. That has never made sense to me. And I have seen the arguments made, like, by people, like, reading Meta and, like, arguing for, like, a Destiel interpretation and being like, he's not pointing at our Dean, he's pointing at Cass. And I'm like, but that context doesn't, like, for me, does not make sense. And this scene has always confused me because, like, the only interpretation that does at all work is that it's a Destiel reading. But I also don't understand the Destiel reading that well. Like, so I was just interested, like... I was just interested, like, do you have a take other than that? Or, like, uh, so you, what did when you I think watched the scene, thing? I just assumed that he was pointing out previous Dean and the slight lines were just slightly wrong in it. Yeah, because, just cause, I, like, with filming stuff, like, nine times out of ten, the hardest thing is making sure that all the sight lines theoretically make sense when you do the edit, mm-hmm. that they are pointing where they're meant to be pointing. In the right place. So I just, I assumed it was just, like, it was just slightly off. So, yeah, he does turn around, which is really weird. Because that's the bit that's like, me. I'm like, why does he turn around? Is it like Dean being like, what, who, me? Like, am I the problem? Me? Like, <laughs> me, the time traveler from five years ago? Wow. I the drama? Yeah, genuinely. Because I'm like, it makes sense to me that he's turning and pointing at his past self. What doesn't make sense to me is that his past self turns around to look at Cass. And then the cat, like, the maybe, maybe Dean moves thinks- to Cass. Like, it... it Maybe Dean, like past Dean, just thinks that maybe future Dean and Cass are fucking. Yeah, like and maybe that's why. <laughs> and so it's like future Dean is pointing at past Dean, right? But past Dean thinks, oh, he's pointing at Cass. Cass. So he goes and looks at Cass. Yeah. And of course, the assumption by past Dean is clearly future Dean and Zen Cass are fucking. Unless that was the intent of the director and, like, everyone else on set, I don't understand what else they could possibly have been going But for. also, I don't, like, I don't actually see how, like, Cass can get here. Like, Cass, who just last episode couldn't even hook up with a prostitute because it wasn't her fault that her father <laughs> ran away. He just didn't like his job at the post office. Like, how does he get to this point? So it's it's almost like he's specifically designed to get to Dean. Mm-hmm. So Zaki Boy is designing this shit. Yeah, and this is my whole thing, like, when I brought up our flag needs death before. Like, the yeah. point is to torment Dean. Like, he thinks that he somehow caused Cass to become this completely different person that he doesn't recognize when comparative to the Cass that he knows, right? And this is another thing where I'm like, kudos to Misha, because, and actually to Ben Evelyn, but... The way that Cass is so not our normal Cass, but is also so Cass, like, he's still so petty and bitchy. Like, when Anne First Dean is outlining his plan, right, and they're at the table, and Cass goes, what? I like past you. And, like, you have that whole, like, look uh, at Cass's face when he's looking at, like, past Dean, and he has this, like, fond smile. And then, like, Anne First Dean gets, like, real shitty about it. And I think that's hilarious, because I'm like, damn, he'd be jealous. But also, the back and forth between N versus Dean and Cass is peak. Like, when Dean goes, are you saying my plan is reckless? And Cass is like, if you don't like reckless, I could use insouciant, maybe? Which I did look up, and it means casual lack of concern. That sort of back and forth banter is like both... You can see it in past Dean and Cass, and you, it also makes sense in this N verse version. And I just... I think it is so cleverly done and so well done. I think it's really the orgies that are throwing me off, because Cass is so clearly not straight. <laughs> Like, you're right, that does feel out of character. Yeah. <laughs> like, Gangel aside, like, all of future context and everything else aside, 
You're correct. Like, that is the most out-of-character thing, is that there were exclusively women in that circle. Yeah. Like, Cass, canonically, angels don't have a gender... Like, come on. There are a couple of important things that I think we have to talk about as, like, a meta thing for Cass, and it's stuff that you have no reason to know about. So I'm going to bring it up and elaborate a little bit, and then we can... If you have any points you want to make, we can make them. Otherwise, we'll just sort of get through them and move along. Number one. Once they've had their little bitter back and forth bickering moment, Dean says, well, are you coming? And Cass says, of course. That is going to be an ongoing thing. Like, Dean will be doing some suicidal fucking plan where, like, there is no hope in hell of him succeeding. And Cass will be like, well, I'm going with you. Or, like, obviously I'm going to go with you to do this. Like, you're not doing it alone. Like, this will be an ongoing theme that will be so relevant and it occurs multiple times through the series and we will talk about it. Specifically, there is one episode in particular where we will definitely be talking about it. But I think this is maybe the first episode that we get that explicit exchange. I would argue the first instance of it occurring would have been in season four. But this is the first time we get the, are you coming, of course. I just had a realisation. It's definitely a Zaki design simulation because he designed Cass to be the most concerning possible for Dean. He made him straight. <laughs> I love that that's your actual... like. Like, I know you're making a joke, but that's actually, like, a genuine point that you're yeah, making. Like, <laughs> like, 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 you're making a joke, but you're also making it sincerely. Yeah, like, he's he wants to scare Dean away from this course of action. <laughs> of course he's going to make it so that he has no chance with Cass. Like, <laughs> Which brings me, honestly, to the next point that I'm going to make. So we get the scene where they are driving to their imminent deaths, and we have our current timeline Dean, and we have Cass in the car, and Dean is like, don't get me wrong, I'm glad that you got the stick out of your ass, but, like, what the fuck happened to you? And Cass does his, like, little monologue, and, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm human now, basically, and Dean's like, well, welcome to the club. And Cass says, thanks, uh, but I used to belong to a much better club. And it's, like, this whole little bit. Here is the thing about that. There is actually a edit that was made to the script. That mm-hmm. is not the scene that was originally written. And I did go back and find... I also just want to say that's more Cass OOC, because... He doesn't think the Angels are a much better club. We'll talk about this as we go because it is actually very relevant. To I was joking arc. originally and now I'm like, no, this is... Zachariah actually did fabricate the timeline. Every single element of this seems specifically designed to horrify Dean into saying yes. There's too many things about this timeline that are like designed to scare Dean straight, essentially. Literally and figuratively. You know what I mean? Like, yes, there, there are just too many things here. What I'm going to do for you now is I'm going to read you the scene as it does occur in the episode and like the transcript. Ooh, should we read it together? <laughs> should we do drama script reading? I mean, it's a monologue, so it wouldn't ah. work, but I do love the suggestion. So the excerpt as it does play out in the episode, in the scene, Cassiel says, except I used to belong to a much better club. And now I am powerless. I'm hapless. I'm hopeless. I mean, why the hell not bury myself in women and decadence, right? It's the end, baby. That's what decadence is for. Why not bang a few gongs before the lights go out? But then that's just how I roll, right? That's how it actually plays out. However, the original script for the same scene was actually written as this. Cass is still monologuing. Yeah. But instead we become this. The only thing I think we have left, Dean and me, is each other. Brackets, unadorned sincerity, end bracket. If Dean says it's time to go out in a blaze of glory, win or lose, so be it, I'm in. But then, dot dot dot, bracket, smiles easily at Dean, end bracket, that's just how I roll. Those are two 
very different monologues. It's like it was designed specifically to horrify Dane. Like, I feel like the original version the would original? not support a Zaki Long Con completely fabricated reality mm-hmm. argument. But the revised version does. Because the implication is that he's banging a few gongs, but none of them are Dean. <laughs> Whereas the first one implies that he is definitely banging Dean. And he's definitely and exclusively banging <laughs> Dean's gong. Yeah, like, and the bit that gets me is the note, which is unadorned sincerity. Yeah. And the specific, like, the specification of the only thing I think we have left, Dean and me, is each other. And of course, like, Bobby is dead. Sam <laughs> is Dane. possessed. Like, He's making, like, a very valid point. Like, they are all each other have left. But it is very interesting that they chose to remove that and replace it with Cass saying, why the hell not bury myself in women? (laughs) Is Cass really exempt from the control of God? Like, well, okay, here's the thing. I would argue that in the normal timeline, yes. But if we're going to push that this is a Zack creation, then this cast wouldn't be exempt because it's a Zach creation. I was like half joking. I didn't really have any solid thoughts about it at the start of discussing this episode. Mm-hmm. I was like, on the fence, honestly. But now that we're talking about the it. The more that I talk about it, the more I'm like, there is just too many things in this quote unquote future mm-hmm. that seems specifically designed to horrify Dean. One of those things being Cass. Like another thing being like his casual disregard for his Subordinates slash friends slash Cass. Yeah. And also, obviously, the whole Sam thing. The whole Sam thing. That goes without saying. But also, if it was just the whole Sam thing, it wouldn't reek of, like, Zacky Boy's fantasy future. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, if it was just the Sam thing, it'd be like, okay, well, clearly, this is something that could genuinely happen. But it's just like, future Dean doesn't even look after baby. That seems specifically horrifying. It like, is specifically horrifying to him. Yeah. He says, oh, baby, what have they done to you? But, like, I, again, like, putting into the, like, the Impala as a physical manifestation of Dean's mental well-being and, like, you know, how he's feeling right now. Yeah. What did they do to you? He's fucked up. Dean even says, like, something's broken in you. Yeah, that car is broken. <laughs> like, so, yeah, so you look at the fact that the car, the state of the car seems specifically designed to horrify Dean. Mm-hmm. Dean's casual disregard for other people and their well-being seems, Insouciance. seems specifically designed to horrify Dean. Mm-hmm. Cass's sort of perspective of like hopelessness and oh well, well it's the end seems specifically designed to horrify Dean. And also like low-key like disdain for humanity, which is OOC for Cass. Yeah, like. seems specifically designed to horrify Dean. Bobby's death seems specifically designed to horrify Dean, Mm -hmm. despite the fact there, from what I can tell, there is no reason for Bobby to be dead. Mm -hmm. Because he is in the photo at the fortress, but then it's also implied that he died at At home. home. Yeah. Here's a question, actually. Like, this is an additional thing. But at the very end of the episode, Zach's like, you didn't learn the lesson. I guess I'll have to teach you again. And I'm kind of like, what, is he going to just do the same thing over? Like, is he just going to put him back exactly where he was? Or is he going to create... A whole other scenario. And then, like, you've got Gishadine's speech to past Dean that's basically, like, I would say yes in a heartbeat. I've tried scenes Mm -hmm. specifically designed to try and push the agenda. Yeah, being like, you don't have the backup plan of, like, well, if all else fails, I guess I'll say yes. The angels aren't listening. I have tried. And it seems specifically designed to try and make Dean say yes. 
Yeah. Like, and I'm assuming from, like, the way you're, like, there is multiple theories, this is something that we never get answered or addressed as to whether this is a genuine future. I think that there is an equal likelihood that when it was pitched in the writer's room, it was presented as a legitimate forward flash. I think it is equally likely that it was presented as a thing that Zachariah has created. And I think the way that they actually do we ever out- see anyone travel to the future again? Oh, you know, that's an interesting question. Uh, kind of, it, like way down the track, kind of. And we also have, like I've told you before, we get more iterations of like prophets. So we get visions of the future kind of thing. We, we never have any kind of time travel to this extent. Certainly not five years down the track. We do have more time travel to the past. Even if this is a future, I it's think... It's one that Zachariah purposely chose. Yes. Yeah. Which I would argue makes it less the future and more a complete fabrication from Zachariah. I have a couple of things that I just want to quickly run through before we start to wrap up that we haven't had time to touch on, but I also don't think will require too much discussion. I think they're just kind of fun or interesting. So first being, at the very start of the episode, we have the guy who is standing out front of the motel, which is how Dean gets found by Zachariah in the first place. Mm -hmm. And he asks, is your soul rapture ready? Have you taken time out to think about God's plan for you? I just think that that's a hilarious line. Which is also hilarious, considering we've just had the episode, like, The Rapture. The Rapture, what, like, half a dozen episodes ago or so now? Jimmy was not prepared. No. (laughs) So I just thought that was very funny. And I don't think Cass was prepared for the reboot either. I also want to very quickly mention that Dean says, what, you don't trust yourself? And he's like, no, absolutely not. And then he calls himself a dick. I think that's just very fun. I also think it's weird to hear Dean say his, like, own name. It's like, I, I know what it's like to hear Jensen say Dean's name, but it's weird yeah. to hear Dean say the name. De- it's just weird. I also think it's very fun, though, that we see that he can literally pull up a nail out of a floorboard and pick locks. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very fun, like, just nod to, like, how scrappy he can be mm-hmm. in, in the situation if it's necessar- uh, necessary. But also, don't we learn later on that he can't actually pick locks and that all of it is... Look, we'll get there. It's a whole other It's a Zaki fabrication. A Zaki fabrication. <laughs> he planted that nail there. We also get a line which I think is really interesting. It's where our timeline Dean says to Enverstein, I know your lying expressions. I've seen them in the mirror. I do think that's interesting because it's not like, I know your lying expressions. They're the same as mine. It's like, I have seen them in the mirror, implying he has lied to himself and is consciously aware of it. I just think that's or, interesting. Or alternate reading. He stands there and tries to practice lying in the mirror so that he can get better <laughs> at lying. You know what? sims you can like click on the mirror and like practice your charisma skill or whatever (laughs) dean really is chuck's blobo and he's just it's just a game of the sims i also love and this is something that i have only noticed in this particular rewatch but i do think it is hilarious that even in the apocalypse even five years down the track hypothetically dean's hair is still gelled immaculately like he is still finding the time in the apocalypse to fix his hair Cass, no dean yes and i'm like where are you getting hair gel what's hilarious though (laughs) is Cass as an angel bothers doing his hair for jimmy yeah (laughs) Cass as a human does not bother give a shit yeah like one last point that i want to make before we move on to your psa the date that we are given for this episode is August 1st, 2014. And what's really funny is I forgot that that was the date that we were given in this episode, but I have a vivid memory of what I was doing on August 1st, 2014. That does not sound reassuring. Because, no, because I was watching Supernatural 
and I had just watched this episode. And so I have this really vivid memory. I like, I remember what Tumblr was like on that day on August the 2nd, 2014, because I woke up and I was so confused when I went on Tumblr that morning before school going, why is everyone freaking out about August 1st? Like, first of all, for me, I was like, it's already the 2nd. And then I had literally walked almost the whole 40 minutes to school when I realized, like, I remember the exact moment I was like, oh, that's what everyone's freaking out about. Like, so it actually helps me place when and where I was when I was watching this show for the first time. Like, I always knew that I started watching it around 2014. And now I know I have to have at least been at this point in season five in August of 2014. And I just think that that's entertaining. Like, it's given me a timestamp. If you know where you were on August 1st slash 2nd, 2014, let me know. I think it would be really interesting. All right, lovely. I think it's time for my PSA of the day. Excellent. Yeah. I have no guesses. I'm going to no cut guesses. you off. I have zero okay. guesses. Yes. Unless it's like, don't do drugs or equal opportunity orgies. Like, <laughs> no. Unfortunately, you are incorrect this week. Neither of them are even close. My PSA for the day is if you have an appointment for a service, <laughs> be on time. It saved Dean's ass in this episode. Mm-hmm. So just make sure that you are running on time. When you when you book like the hairdresser, make sure you are on time. Mechanic, and if you are not doctor. if you are not on time, you cannot expect them to be able to feasibly do their job well. That's a good one. Okay. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on for this week's episode? No, I think that was pretty well. I think all Perfect. my thoughts have now been revealed. Amazing. So... Specifically, they fucking... Maybe I should add a question about how you're feeling about Destiel to the end of these wrap-ups. Like, we'll just track the progress. In three words or less. Yeah. Reflect on <laughs> the state of... fucking... <laughs> reflect on the state of Destiel. How would you rate this week's episode, the end, out of five? I think I'm going to give it three and a half. Okay. It was good. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it, but I'm also not, like, itching to go back and rewatch it or anything like that. To be fair, I don't ever really feel like going back and rewatching it. It's fascinating for the implications, but I feel like, like, I've watched it once. I feel like that's enough. Look, I'm not mad about three and a half. Like, I think that's solid. I personally would probably lean towards, like, a four. Yeah. Press honestly, based entirely on Misha's acting, like, yeah. I would give him the extra half a point. The concept of the episode gets, like, maybe three stars, mm-hmm. right? The concept is really interesting, really fun. I quite like it. Gets a half a point because you've got good old Zaki boy there. It gets an extra half a point because Misha's doing the most. And then it starts losing points because, like, it's just... It's almost gay. It's almost gay, <laughs> but it's not quite. And, like, cowards, you it's... know? <laughs> it's all about that subtext. Yeah. The next episode is called Fallen Idols. Do you have any thoughts, feelings, predictions, hopes, fears, or dreams? I don't know about any of those things, but <laughs> I think we're going to get an angel fall from grace. Oh, okay. I think it'd be very interesting if it was Cass that falls from grace specifically after this episode and we've seen what happens when Cass no longer has his grace and is a human. And considering he's currently actively rebelling against heaven, yeah. I don't think it would be out of place for them to like... Have him officially formally fall rather yeah. than just rebelling. And also Cass is my idol, so it makes sense. <laughs> Uh, So that kind of answers my next question, which is, do you think Cass will be in the next episode? I'm assuming that means, yes, you think he will be in the next episode. I think he'll be in the next episode. 
I am sort of very aware of like how limited like the number of episodes that they have Misha Collins for is. Mm-hmm. So it's like I don't want to just be like at the end of every episode like yes, Cass will be there, but it also like. Every episode feels like Cass needs to be there. That like, doesn't stop. Like the rest of the series, it's like if Cass is missing, what's the point? <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. Like, I don't know. It just feels like how can you have an episode without Cass at this point? Like, Cass is so crucial for the plot and the plot continuing forward. It just it feels like he needs to be there. But also, I know that Misha Collins is not in every episode of this show going forward. Yeah. That brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can always hit us up on any of our socials. All of the links will be in the description below. And if you wanted to get in touch, some possible conversation topics could include... Other things about this scenario that Zaki has specifically designed to horrify Dean into saying yes. Or if you think we're wrong. If you think that this is actually... A depiction a, of a possible future, or even the only future, if Dean or was even to follow the this course most of likely future, quote yeah, unquote. Because like, there is an argument for both sides, and I mentioned earlier, or Jamie asked earlier, like we do not get a definitive yes or no for the rest of the series. So obviously, this is not it. how the show actually ends. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. Like so, obviously, yeah. Because I was mad that they didn't reference this in fifteen twenty, yeah. so I've kind of spoiled that. Um, obviously, big caveat on that: if you have any arguments that you could make for that but that contains spoilers pop yeah. them in the spoiler chat or message me about them do not message Jeremy about them no. pretty pretty please that just about does it for today's episode so thank you so much again for listening hopefully you have enjoyed listening to our conversation as much as we have had having this conversation and hopefully we will have you back next week bye, bye.